prayer and worship service tonight, what do you think I'm going to kind of be promoting? (laughs) You are very wise. We believe in prayer. Our family grew up praying. Matter of fact, sometimes we'd have to make rules that you weren't allowed to pray during board games because that wasn't fair. (laughs) Do you guys ever do that? Pray during board games? It's like, okay, who's God going to hear? God, roll the dice this way. No. Come on, you know we've done it. I remember the kids saying, hey, no praying. (laughs) No praying during, during board games or Super Bowl or any of that kind of stuff. Um, prayer. We're going to be looking at uh, several verses, but prayer was just a part of life for the church. Uh, when After Jesus ascended, God poured out his spirit. The church started to grow. You just saw that that was just part of church life. It wasn't like there was the special praying church anywhere. Churches prayed. Right? Okay, okay. I just... Be really quiet there. Um, I want us just to look at some verses, and, um, and then we will... You'll get to hear what's on your pastor's heart. Okay. So, Acts 1.14. Let's go there. And um, I guess I need help getting the first... There we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. After Jesus ascended, and... Um, his followers were told to wait until they'd received power from on high. It says in Acts one fourteen that they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So it's like from the very start, they're just they're praying. This kingdom stuff, they're praying. And then after the Holy Spirit is poured out, the church it just explodes, you know, 3,000 in a day. And it says... In Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That was just ingrained in the DNA. And then after that, persecution started to come. And uh, Peter and John had been used by God to raise somebody who had been crippled from birth, and that caused a huge commotion. They get in trouble with the religious leaders. And in Acts 4.18, it says, Then they called them in again, that was Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They were commanded, Do you, don't speak anymore about Jesus. Don't speak that name. Well, after they were released, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. What are they going to do? They're going to pray. And they pray. And it's, it's an awesome prayer. You get to read it. It starts off, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then the prayer goes on. You can read all the rest of it. Prayer. Persecution got rougher. James... Um, the brother of John was executed. And when the leaders saw that that pleased the people, then they uh, got Peter, and he was next to be executed. So he's in prison, waiting for that. And in Acts chapter uh, 12, verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was what? 
earnestly praying. What can we do? Let's pray. I find it very interesting that God answered their prayers and they had a hard time believing he answered their prayers when you read that story, so it's kind of funny. Well, there was a church in Antioch. It was really growing. There was a lot going on there, a lot of teaching. Paul was there, Saul, and uh, there was prophets and so on there. But look what it says with that church. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The first missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. How did it all start? They're praying. They're worshiping. And in this atmosphere, God starts doing things. In our text today, I'm going to, a little bit lengthy reading before we get to the verses, I'm really going to be camping on, but it's in Acts chapter 16. And verse 16 says this. Once when we were going to the place of, what? Prayer. You're going to hear that a lot today, okay? Once when we were going to the place of prayer. Now this is uh, Paul and Silas. They're on the second missionary journey. They're going to Philippi. And we're going to read about an incident that happens. And then I'm going to bring out some points that I want us to see about prayer and worship. So Acts 16, 16. Going on from that verse there, it says, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar. They're advocating customs unlawful for us, for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, now the next verse is going to be really our text that we're going to start looking at. Let's, let's take a look at that. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were praying and singing hymns, worshiping God. And then something happens after that. And uh, this is what we're going to talk about today. The point is, while they were praying and worshiping, what kind of things can happen while a church is praying and worshiping? What kind of things could happen? We're going to take a look at some things here. And I took a little liberty. I, I like to be very literal when I'm going through the scriptures. But I'm going to take some things today as we go through the scriptures. And I may kind of go a little bit di different direction with them. But I felt that's what God wanted me to do. But um, 
I definitely want to take the scriptures very literal. While they were praying and worshiping, the first thing that we're going to see, foundations were shaken. Foundations were shaken. And we have the verse there. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Now, I'm not going to talk about the foundations of a building, but I'm going to talk about foundations for a little bit. Because sometimes our foundations need to be shaken. Sometimes the foundations of our life need to be shaken. And what do I mean by foundation? The priorities of your life. The priorities, the things that you're putting so much time into. Sometimes they need to be shaken. You ever had God shake that part of your life? Yeah. Because some of the things he wants us, when he starts uh, shaking our foundation, there's like some questions that come to mind while he's doing that. Do we really care about the things that our Father cares about? As we're going through this life, and we have a Father in heaven whom we've given our lives to, are we really caring about the things that he cares about? That can kind of shake our foundation. Do we have ears that are closely hearing the things that our Father wants us to hear? We want to go through this life hearing from our Father by His Spirit. Is our Father's kingdom more real to us? Or is the kingdom of this world more real to us? Sometimes things need to be shaken. Do the temporary things of this world have our time and attention? Or do the things that are eternal have our time and attention? Those are foundational things. Are the lost invisible to us? Are the lost irritating to us? Or are the lost on our heart? And we just can't help but pray for them. Those are foundational things. And uh, coming together as, a, as, a, as the children of God, coming together and spending time praying and worshiping where he's the focus, God will shake our foundations during those times. You know why I like getting together praying weekly as a church? Because it's not just about things that need to be done, it's about me too. When I'm spending time in prayer, God's kind of adjusting my own heart. Because this life can be so busy just taking care of everything that needs to be taken care of that the, we can lose track of what really, 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 really matters, the eternal stuff that really matters. So, while they were praying and worshiping, foundations were shaken. As we start the Sunday night prayer and worship time tonight, would it be okay if God just started shaking some foundations? Would that be good? Because maybe they don't need to be shaken, but if they do, I want them to. You know what I'm saying? 
My goal isn't to just always think that God's pleased with me. My goal is, I really want to hear, Lord. Am I going the right route? Is, you know, am, am I walking in your will? Well, the second thing that we see, I like this. Foundations were shaken and doors were opened. You ever pray for doors to be opened? Doors were opened here. Let's just take a look at this. Our text, 1625, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. It wasn't the greatest of conditions. Okay, As we, as we gather together tonight, I pretty well determined I'm not going to put anybody's feet in the stocks or anything. It's not like we're going to try to totally duplicate this thing. Nobody's going to be uh, you know, thrown in prison or chained or any of that kind of stuff. Okay, But... Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. I like that. Who's the one who opens doors? Who's the one who shuts doors? God. We're going through Revelation on Wednesday nights. Not an easy thing for me, but we're going through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. And uh, in the beginning of the book, the Apostle uh, John, who is seeing this revelation of, of Christ and of end times, he is told to write letters to seven churches. And one of the churches, the Church of Philadelphia, he is told to write this. Jesus is speaking. And let's just look at this verse. Take a look at it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. Now, now Jesus is speaking. And John is supposed to be recording this. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Let me tell you, Jesus opens and closes doors. He's the one who can do it. Sometimes you, may, you might think, that's impossible. That could never happen. Whatever the situation is, let me tell you, Jesus can open doors you never imagined could be opened. And he can shut doors, too. He went on to tell this church, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Here's this church. They are walking with their God. It goes on to say that they're weak. I mean, it's difficult. But they're staying faithful. They're walking with their God, even though it's hard. And he says, I'm going to open a door for you. Would you like the Lord to open some doors for us as a church? Wouldn't you like him to open doors of uh, a greater influence in lives being touched? Jesus can do that. But while they were praying, singing hymns to God, foundations were shaken and doors were, they flew open. They flew open in that, in that passage. God can open doors for the gospel to touch lives. And I know it's our heart. We want to see people born into the kingdom of God. We don't want to see people going through this life blind and ending up answering to God for all of their sins. and all. I mean, we want to see people come to the Lord. Look what what Paul said in Colossians 4. 
He's writing to the church at Colossae, and he said, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. How do we know what to pray about? Our eyes are open. (laughs) We know what to pray about. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. This church in Colossae, he says, pray for us. God will open doors. God will open doors. I would love for us as a body to be coming together. Your prayers are powerful. When you're praying at home, wherever you pray, your prayers are powerful. But I think about us all coming together. And praying, God, open doors. Shake foundations. God, can you imagine what can happen? I don't know if we can. The third thing that we see in this, in this story, Acts chapter 16... And once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. I like that. You got all these prisoners, man. They are bound and all of their chains come off. Ah, chains come loose. Don't we want to see chains come loose? Don't we want to see that? Oh, we want to see people free. We do. You know, Satan... He wants to bind people with chains of sin, addictions, fears, pain, you know, whatever. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bind people with those things. But Jesus wants to set people free. Anybody here been set free? Did you deserve it? (laughs) Aren't you thankful for it? Oh, man. He wants to set people free. Let's look at another story. And uh, it's in Luke chapter 13. Let me just read these verses. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman. You're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, what happens next in the story is that the religious leaders that were there were really upset because this happened on the Sabbath day, and they considered healing work, and you weren't to work on the Sabbath. Does that sound a little twisted? Yeah, there's that blindness thing again. The enemy wants to blind people, okay? But look at what Jesus says. He he addresses their concerns. And he said, the last part of what he said, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Satan binds people. And Jesus wants them to be free. I, for one, am tired of of hearing the stories that happen in other places. Oh, did you hear what happened over here? I rejoice with that. Did you hear what happened in this nation? I rejoice with that. 
I am not content to hear what happens in other places. Are you content just to hear about what's happening somewhere else? Or do you want it to happen here? Not that things aren't happening here. We see answered prayer. We do. But there are so many people that need to be free. What would happen if a church, a body, gets together on a consistent basis and they start praying, God, set the captives free. Pour out your spirit, God. Do what you got to do in me, God. Let me be a part of this. God, I want to see people get free. I'm tired of people stuck in the addictions. I'm tired of them going through the cycle. Going through the cycle. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And these things happened. Jesus, man, when he started publicly proclaiming who he was, he opened up this scroll. He was in the synagogue, a scroll of Isaiah. And he starts reading, and he starts reading who he is. Do you remember what it says in that scroll, what he's come to do? Let's just take a look at it. Let's take a look at this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me tell you, it's the year of the Lord's favor right now. It is the year of the Lord's favor. There's things he wants to do. His favor is on this world. Okay? It still is. It is still a time of grace. And Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me to do these things. Do you think the Lord wants to put his spirit on us? To see those things happen too? Don't you think so? Now, I can't convince you. (laughs) I'm trying. I am trying. The same Spirit, the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. What do you think the Holy Spirit in us is saying when we walk by somebody that's in bondage? What do you think He's saying? Is He saying, that's too big for God? Or is He saying, that person could be free? that person could be free. Look what it says in 1 John. Whoops. What did I do here? Let's see. Back up one more. Well, 1 John 3. Oh, it's not up there. Summarizes it and says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared, New King James, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. God wants to destroy the works of the devil. 
And he wants to use us. He used his son, and now his son dwells in us. We are the body of his son here on this earth, and he wants to use us. He wants to use us. Jesus came to set people free. Okay, now we'll get to this other verse that I was struggling with here. And I still am. (laughs) You might have to move it for me back there. The next one. There we go. Thank you. Acts chapter 4. We read about it a little bit ago. That's where uh, Peter and John were told to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. Peter and John went back, gathered together with the other believers, and they started praying. And this is the last part of the prayer that they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. He didn't even pray, God, stop their threats. He didn't pray, God, just, you know, keep them quiet. Didn't pray that. Hey, they're threatening us. But God, give us boldness. Give us boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Does God still want to do that? Does he want to do that through his church? He does. He does. I believe that he does. And I believe he is doing it. It is happening. But do you think it's happening as much as he wants it to? I don't think so. Now, we just have to be faithful with what we have. Okay? I mean, we can't... We've got to be faithful with what we have. But God responds to hunger. When people are hungry for something, God, it gets his attention. What if as a church, we were hungry to see people set free? What if we were hungry to see the doors opened that God wants to open? What if we were hungry? Hungry see people born into the kingdom of God. I'm not saying we're not hungry. Please don't. I'm not saying we're not. But there's a difference between a little bit hungry and really hungry. I have missed a meal before. And I've been a little hungry. I have fasted for a week before. Now we're talking serious hunger. <laughs> There's a difference between missing a meal hunger and not having eaten for a week hunger. Okay, There's a big difference. I want to be hungry. I want to be hungry for God to touch people. One last thing here. I think my little clicker is rebelling. Okay, there we go. While they were praying and worshiping, the lost became concerned about their souls. I like that. The lost started caring about their souls. There's people you talk to now, they couldn't care less. They couldn't care less. They don't, you know, ah, whatever, you know, whatever. 
But in this instance, the lost started seeing their need. that's, That's awesome. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, we're back in Philippi prison, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Okay, Paul was no longer trying to convince him he needed salvation. He was asking, what is it that I need? Let me tell you, you start praying for people, God starts working in them. Starts working in them. Those people that couldn't care less about the things of God, something starts happening. And they start thinking about the things of God. Okay, I'm a product of that. I'm a product of that. Somebody praying. Satan wants to keep people blind. That's what he does. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. They don't see their need. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan, that's what he does. He holds people. Why can't lost people see? Because they're blind. They're blind. Before I was a Christian, I was blind. I didn't see. Billy Graham comes on television, irritated me, because I wanted to watch the show that it was interrupting. Switch the channel. That's back when you had to walk over and switch. You know, you couldn't just press a button. had to do that kind of stuff irritated me some special come on the radio about jesus switch the channel irritated me i don't want to hear this stuff i was blind but some people prayed i didn't know they were praying i started caring i wonder if my soul's right with god What's it going to be like when I stand before God? I don't want to think about that. Let's go to a party. (laughs) But God would always bring it back. The precious Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he said to his followers, I have to go. Jesus, we don't want you to go. We want you here with us. This is good. I have to go. Because I must send the Holy Spirit. This world needs the Holy Spirit. Look what he said. But I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. The Holy Spirit, the comforter. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to convict the world. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the world of this thing called righteousness. Jesus won't be here anymore for people to see. His church will be. And he's going to convict them of righteousness. And he's going to convict them of judgment because the God of this age, this world, has already been judged. The Holy Spirit. Oh, what could happen? If we all get together and we pray, oh God, bring conviction on this city. What could happen? 
Wow. Again, I like to read the other stories where it happens other places. But I want to be in the story. You know what I'm saying? I just I want to be in I want to be part of a story. I want to be part of a story. Not just have a good sermon illustration. I want to be part of a story. Church. There is no condemnation here. But God called Lori and I here for a purpose. Called us here for a purpose. People need Jesus. I'm not the most bold person in the world. I've always struggled with boldness. God helps. But I don't want to just say, well, that's somebody else's job. I don't want to say that. They prayed. They sang hymns to God. And foundations were shaken. Doors were opened. Flew open. Chains fell off. And the lost started being concerned about their souls. I like that. There was a guy um, in a previous church that Laura and I were at. He wasn't in church. His wife went to church. They were a young couple. And they had uh, some kids. And the, uh, the wife was a Christian and her parents were Christian. And the kids were being raised in church, but the husband had nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. And he was a kind of a self-made guy, real confident. It seemed like anything he tried to do, he could do well. He was good in sports. He was good at building. He was good, whatever, whatever. I mean, the guy was successful. And uh, uh, he just didn't, he didn't need people. He didn't need God. Every Sunday, Lori and I are doing kids' ministries. Okay, anybody got any prayers? We know what the prayer is going to be from these kids. Please pray for my dad. That he'll ask Jesus into his heart. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, okay? And, uh, you know, we just thought, yeah, that, that, that would take God. <laughs> and then I get a phone call. I mean, this has been years of this. And I get a phone call one night. And it's this guy's wife. I said, can you come over to my place? My husband needs to talk to you. Okay. All right, am I in trouble or what? I don't know what's going on here. Okay. So I go over to their house in the evening, and, and, uh, and there's her husband sitting in this chair in the living room. Looks terrible. He had always been a very self-confident, you know, just very, you know, a little bit intimidating maybe at times. And, and he just looked terrible. Discouraged. Depressed. I mean, there was just a cloud over him. And, I, and I'm talking with him and he says, I just can't keep going on. I, I, I can't go on anymore. I just can't go on. And, you know, I finally asked him, are you ready to receive Jesus as your Savior? Yes. There had been such conviction working on this guy. It finally wore him down. He was a mess. And he prayed. He surrendered his life to God. Received Jesus as his Savior. And you know what? He became a brand new person. He was different. He was different. And he was in church. 
His wife had the biggest smile on her face. My goodness, it was huge. And when the kids raised their hand for prayer, it was a different prayer after that, okay? (laughs) Prayer will make a difference. It'll make a difference. But what, what if a whole body of people get together and pray? It's good to pray for your family. But what if we get together and pray for your family? Praying for one another's families. You know where I'm going with this, right? (laughs) Pastor, why are we doing a Sunday night service? Because I want life to be tough for you. No, that's not why. Because I just want our lives to count. And we've tried the Saturday night prayer thing for five. It took us a while to get started. So five years, maybe six years by now, six years. hasn't gone real well very thankful for everyone who's come here but it hasn't been a real success and I would say Saturday night probably not the best time anyway although I liked it praying for Sundays I thought that was cool because we're praying for Sundays but Sunday night I wonder if people will come on a Sunday night to worship and pray and seek God Hey, let's find out. Now, I am not here to force or condemn. Okay? I'm not. But I just want to see what God will do. when we give up some time that we might even call family time. But you can bring your family. We brought our kids to prayer meetings. I remember one time, Lori was pacing, praying, and our son Nathan, I don't know, he wasn't that old at the time, he squatted down in front of her to see if he could trip her because she was praying with her eyes closed. (laughs) Not everything spiritual happens at prayer meetings, okay, but... But hey, they were raised in church. <laughs> God opened her eyes and she saw just before. Just before. <laughs> and you didn't kick him or anything either, did you? No, I don't think so. Just, Nathan, don't do that. <laughs> Bring your family. Well, my kids might be loud. You know what? That's okay. I don't want us to be a church that's so nervous about sound. Okay, Let's, We can bring families together. Kids can be a little loud. We can deal, you know what I mean? So how we're going to close the service today is? Is what? Perfect. That's a great idea. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And uh, again, tonight, 6 o'clock, those of you who will come, we're going to worship. We just want to worship God. Just worship him. Then we're going to pray. We're going to believe God. 
And if he shakes our foundations, so be it. That's okay. His foundations are better anyway. And uh, let's just, you know, we'll pray for other churches. We're not in competition with other churches. We'll be praying for other churches. God, use them. Pour out your spirit on them. Use them mightily. There's no competition here. So let's close the service with prayer and worship. Thank you, worship team.